So please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Mark chapter 12 and at verse 38. Mark chapter 12, and you'll find this on page 849. This is speaking of Jesus. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus uh, has been teaching in the temple, and Jesus has been addressing many of the questions that have been posed to him. You remember there were questions about uh, whether or not to pay taxes. There were questions about the resurrection. Uh, There were questions about the law. But you also remember that Jesus posed a question himself. Uh, He turned the tables and was really uh, giving uh, his hearers an opportunity to expand their understanding of the Christ. Because he asked them, how is it that the scribes teach that David, uh, that the Christ would be David's son? When David in the spirit in Psalm 110 says, the Lord said unto my Lord. How is he David's son, a descendant of David, if he is David's Lord? He is greater than David, uh, someone whom David himself bowed in, in honor and in worship. And so Jesus was really expanding their understanding of the Christ. He's not merely a descendant of David, but he is David's Lord. He is not merely a king, but he is a savior. He is a prophet, priest, and king whose reign is equal with the authority of God and whose priesthood is eternal. And so Jesus was appealing to scripture to help them to understand God's truth more about the Christ, about himself, ultimately. Well, this morning we want to turn again uh, to Mark's gospel and we want to again look at another aspect of Jesus' teaching. And here we're looking at uh, two events side by side. But Jesus is drawing attention to something that he sees. And he's calling a contrast that he wants us to be able to live in light of. And this morning we want to see that the outward act does not necessarily tell the whole story. And that the Lord looks on the intention of the heart. And so we want to look at these two events in uh, two thoughts. We want to think about the outward devotion. And then we want to think about the inward devotion. Uh, And we want to look at what Jesus sees in the scribes and what Jesus sees in the widow. 
Well, first, we want to think about the outward uh, devotion uh, that Jesus calls attention to in the scribes. In verse 38, he says, in his teaching, uh, Jesus said, beware of the scribes. The scribes, you remember, are the, the experts in the law of God. Uh, they were at one time those who were tasked with the actual preservation of God's word, the ones who were copying God's word, the ones who are um, transmitters of it. They are handling the word of God. But not only are they those that are monitoring the, the writing of God's word, but they are those who um, are experts in terms of studying the law of God. And so these are people that have garnered a great deal of respect because they have devoted themselves to the study and the handling of God's word. And yet Jesus here calls a warning against the scribes because he sees something of an ulterior motive uh, that has characterized uh, many of these scribes. Here he says, beware of the scribes, and he explains why. Jesus is not just calling or casting a shadow or a, 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 a negative dark cloud over this group uh, because they're in a position of authority. But he's explaining what it is exactly about the scribes that is so problematic. And he mentions a number of features that, that start to show a pattern in their life. That when you put it all together, you start to see something of the aim of what makes them tick. And Jesus is saying this is a danger that you need to be aware of. He says they are uh, to be, uh, we are to be on guard against the scribes uh, because of uh, their motive. And their motive, he uh, describes here by saying, first, they are those uh, who like to walk around in long robes. Uh, they had these long prayer shawls, these long robes that actually go right down to the ground. But those long robes had a function. They distinguished them. Uh, they had the function of calling attention that they weren't just a rabbi. They were a scribe. Uh, they were highlighting something of their significance. And those long robes became very important to them. And when they wore those long robes out in public, when they went down the street or when they went to the marketplace, it was the expectation that everyone, with the exception of laborers, was to rise and to greet them. Uh, they, were, they were given a great honor, uh, but there's, there's a, an infatuation that can come with that, that they're actually driven, they're craving that, that attention. They're looking for that uh, prominence uh, amongst their peers, amongst uh, the wider society. So Jesus here calls attention to the fact that they like to walk around in their long robes. They like to be greeted in the marketplaces. They like the best seats in the synagogues, chairs and seats of prominence. Uh, these are uh, uh, positions given to teachers and men of rank, and they like to have places of honor at the feasts. Uh, so again, there's this desire uh, that is ultimately self-serving, but they're using... They're using religion to serve that interest. That they want to be uh, thought of as well and they want to be held up in society. They want to be approved. And they're actually using their position of religion in that society to do that. And Jesus here is calling attention that they're doing all of these things that outwardly look good. But it is, it is actually showing an inward desire that is committed to themselves. That 
that what they're doing is bent back on themselves. And Jesus gets even more explicit about this selfward aim because he says they ultimately devour widows' houses. Widows were those who were vulnerable in the ancient society. They were those who didn't have the support structure of the government or uh, of others to make their own employment, perhaps. They were those who were at risk of uh, being impoverished. But these scribes are described as those who were devouring widows' houses. The word there means to consume or literally to eat up, meaning by that that they were, they were enhancing themselves in a way that was hurting these widows. Now, scribes, it seems, were those who were dependent on the financial gifting uh, and contributions of worshipers in the ancient world. There's nothing inherently wrong with giving financial assistance, especially to those that uh, work in, uh, in, with the study of God's word. Jesus himself uh, received financial assistance from women. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. But here, these scribes are not just receiving assistance. They are taking advantage. They are exploiting uh, these widows for their own betterment. So these widows are being impoverished. Uh, their own houses, as it were, are being uh, given over uh, to the, in the enhancement, to the enrichment of these scribes, which shows something of their aim. Why are they doing what they are doing? Is it to enhance themselves or is it to honor God's will of loving their neighbor? The law of God was very clear and very concerned about God's uh, will that widows would be protected in the ancient world. You see that even in the New Testament. The early church gave a great concern to the care of those who were in vulnerable positions. Uh, but here these scribes are bettering themselves by taking advantage of those who are already in uh, vulnerable situations. And then Jesus explains another way in which the scribes are self-oriented. They're focused on themselves. Not only are they going around in long robes, not only are they looking for greetings in the marketplaces, looking for the best seats and devouring the widows' houses, but they also, for pretense, are making long prayers. That is, for appearance sake, they're doing these things. Again, there's nothing wrong with long prayers. Um, but there is something wrong if we're doing it, the motive for doing it is not actually matching inwardly what we're doing outwardly. Jesus would warn in other passages about praying in public. Uh, Jesus wasn't saying that because brothers and sisters in Christ should never pray with one another. But Jesus was simply highlighting there's a danger. That our motive for what we're doing can quickly turn from being God-oriented to being self-oriented. I'm praying this way in order that other people would think well of me. And Jesus here is saying the scribes here are making these long prayers. Outwardly, it, it, it shows devotion to God. Outwardly, it is striking and it is impressive. And yet Jesus says they're doing it for appearance sake, though. It's to check off the boxes so that others are impressed by them, so that it enhances themselves ultimately. So they're doing all of these things and it shows outward devotion to God. But beware because it's not inwardly matched by a heart devoted to God. This is why Jesus is calling attention to it. 
and why he tells his own disciples that they need to be aware of it. There is a great deal of cynicism in the church today. And uh, one factor for it is what Jesus is calling attention to here. When people who are expressively committing themselves to God, who say they are devoted to God, outwardly show that a different motive seems to govern their lives. When they say that outwardly they want to honor God first and above all else, but then they're living in a way that denies that or seems to contradict that, people become very cynical towards the church. They seem to be self-serving rather than God-serving. What should we think about when we see this reality? First, we should remember that Jesus himself saw it in his own day. Uh, Jesus identified it even uh, with the scribes. Uh, He warns his hearer of the same reality. But secondly, we should not judge a, a system by its abuse. The fact that there are some who capitalize and serve their own interests through religion does not nullify the faith. Just because some people can take advantage of the faith and use it to their own ends does not nullify, it does not mean the faith is not true. You don't judge something by its abuse. Rather, it, just, it shows the capacity of the human heart to twist things to serve ourselves. So it's, it's, not, just, it's not just a religious problem then. It's a, it's a human condition problem. We can twist things to focus it backwards on ourselves. And so when we see that dichotomy, when we see people outwardly acting one way, but then inwardly they're doing things for another way, we see that that's just the human heart at work. People can bring prominence and give attention to themselves, maybe on social media, and the motive for why they are calling attention to things can be hard to discern. Are they trying to call attention to the work, or are they trying to call attention to themselves for doing the work? Uh, the motive uh, is important. But we, when we see in life people that are bent in on themselves, it isn't something that we are drawn to. It's something that uh, we recognize as unattractive and ultimately self-serving. So when we see this, uh, we should remember that Jesus saw too. We should remember that we should not uh, judge a system by its abuse, uh, but realize that it's showing the capacity of the human heart. But then thirdly, when we see this, we should remember that Jesus uh, warns that it will be judged. Uh, Jesus says there in verse 40, they will receive the greater condemnation. Yes, there are those who take advantage of religion and serve their own interests. But Jesus simply entrusts the matter to God's judgment. They will be judged by God for what they do. But Jesus says more than that. He says they will be judged greater They will be accountable for deceiving and for misleading others about the faith. And their condemnation will be worse because they acted against knowledge. They acted against God's truth. And so we're reminded here not only of the fact that God's judgment is the way in which the wrongs will be made right, but we're reminded that God who knows all things is able to judge and his judgment will be proportionate to what we understand and to what has been revealed. 
So this isn't just uh, a problem in the first century. This is something that we can see in human nature. People can act one way, but they're ultimately driven by another motive. When we see that people are most devoted to themselves, uh, they can end up using others for their own ends and even trampling on others to get their own way. So Jesus calls attention to something here in the temple. He's telling his hearers, watch out for scribes. The scribes in his day were those that you could characterize as serving themselves. Outwardly, they look impressive. Inwardly, they're bent in on themselves. And when they are bent in on themselves, they're going to trample on others to get what they want. They're going to devour widows if they want to get rich. They're going to do what they need to do to get themselves satisfied. And that's the problem with living ultimately for yourself. You will be willing to do things you wouldn't think you would do, but your craving for those ultimate ends of serving yourself will lead you in that direction. So there's this outward devotion uh, that's uh, not matched by an inward reality, and Jesus warns of that. But then secondly, Jesus calls attention to something else. Uh, He calls attention to a widow, uh, and we want to look at her devotion Uh, in verses 41 and following. It says in verse 41, and he sat down, that is Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. Uh, There were many functions uh, to the temple. Uh, We think of the temple as a place of worship and it was. But one of the functions of the temple was also to be a place to to gather, to collect, and to store reserves uh, for uh, the work of the temple. So people would come to the temple with their offerings, and their offerings would be stored there, and they would be then used uh, for the work of the temple as well. There were different kinds of offerings or different kinds of boxes uh, that are being mentioned here. Uh, According to one historian, there were 13 different offering boxes, which tells you something about the immensity of wealth that was coming in uh, to Jerusalem uh, to support the temple system. But as they came in, uh, these, uh, this treasury uh, consisted of 13 trumpet-like receptacles. So you think of these horns that would narrow as they go down. And the, the coins would be put into those offering boxes, and they would be then used uh, for various purposes. But it highlights something of uh, the great wealth that was coming in. And we're told that many rich people came in and put in large sums. It's not that the rich people came in and gave little. They were giving great amounts. And all of this wealth is being used uh, for the temple. But it's in this context that uh, where Jesus draws our attention to a poor widow that came in. And it says that she put in two small copper coins. And Mark explains to us uh, the equivalence of that by using a Roman, the smallest Roman coin uh, of the day to explain how much she was giving. Uh, if we try and translate it over, it works out to very, uh, uh, an incredibly small fraction of a day's wage. Uh, so little that if you lost that money, you wouldn't even take notice of it. That's the, uh, that's the amount that she puts in. But Jesus here makes this designation that when she does so, uh, it was not insignificant, but it was more than anyone else who had been given. 
Now, some have looked at this passage and have concluded that Jesus is really uh, looking at the, what's happening here with disapproval. Uh, some have looked at this passage and seen that the widow gave everything and that this is an example of widows being uh, devoured. But, uh, uh, and the reasoning for that is, is that uh, the law does warn against uh, taking advantage of widows and Jesus has just warned that the scribes did that. Um, that the money that was being contributed to the temple would ultimately fall into the hands of what, those whom Jesus called a den of robbers. And in the verses that follow, Jesus tells us that the money that was being contributed here would probably go to the maintenance of the temple, which would soon be destroyed. But there's no indication here that uh, this woman was under any pressure to give. And Jesus does not give any an indication of rebuke of the woman in doing this. And so it's not so much... Um, Jesus isn't drawing attention to this woman's act as something uh, wrong. Jesus is drawing attention to this woman's act because of the costliness of what she's doing. This act cost her more than it cost anyone else. And that's really what Jesus is trying to emphasize here. Uh, that's the focus. And so Jesus uh, says she has put in more than those who were contributing to the offering box. It's certainly not the case that she gave more in terms of the actual value of money. What she gave wasn't going to change how much the temple could use uh, for the maintenance of the temple. It wouldn't change the balance, the overall balance uh, of the temple uh, either. Uh, it wouldn't make any noticeable difference uh, in the, the work of upkeep. Uh, so outwardly, it didn't seem like much. But inwardly, Jesus saw it differently. Uh, and it's because of the costliness of her actions. She gave out of her poverty, and she gave the entirety of it. She had two coins, and she gave both of them. She didn't even keep one for herself. So the rich were giving large sums, not to take away from what the rich were doing. But when the rich were giving large sums, they were giving out of their abundance. And when they gave out of their abundance, it didn't actually cost them anything. That they wouldn't notice it once it's gone. They would be able to carry on their life as is. And so it doesn't necessarily express the same valuation as the woman. You think of the largest CEOs around the world today. They can give billions of dollars away. Large sums of money. Uh, but it doesn't affect them. Uh, they have so much that they can easily dispense of it without thinking much. But for this poor widow to give of the two small copper coins, every copper coin matters. And so to give it up expresses something of her valuation, what it is that she values most of all. So why is she doing this? Um, it's not to be recognized. Uh, it's not to be esteemed highly by her peers. It's not to be recognized as uh, a humanitarian or to be uh, prized before others. She's not doing it uh, so that others would think much of her. Uh, because we know this. If they did see her do it, it wouldn't have impressed many people. It is said that when someone came into the temple to make their offering, they would come before the priest. The priest would then uh, watch uh, the, look for the genuineness of the currency and ask what the contribution is being made for. 
Is it for this kind of a sacrifice or is it for another kind? And they would be able to verify whether the offering matches what was supposed to be given. And the priest would then audibly be confirming the amount that is going to be deposited into the offering box. All of this is very public. And you can imagine just how noticeable it would be when someone gives a large amount. But here this woman is giving a small amount. And even if it was audibly said, it's such a small amount, who's going to pay attention? Who's going to raise an eyebrow when they hear that two small copper coins have been added? It would barely even make a sound in the offering box. So it's, it's not as though she's doing this to be recognized because probably no one's going to be impressed. So why is she doing it then? If it's not to be recognized by others, by men, it's because she is wanting to do it before God. It's because of her valuation of God. And so her outward act of giving up all that she has is an expression of her inward devotion to God. She's not looking for people to notice what she's doing, but rather she simply gives it up uh, to the Lord. And so she's wanting to glorify God. We read there in Exodus 35 this morning. And part of the reason is because in the Old Testament, the people of God were taught to give back to God. The people were to give for the contributions of the tabernacle, to give of their, their purple and their scarlet, their, their, their goat skins. They were to give of whatever they had in order to build this tabernacle. But they were doing it in response of what God had done for them. They were to recognize that God has provided for us. And now we are to build this tabernacle where we can have fellowship, where we can live with our God in the wilderness. And so there's this recognition that we are to give thanks to God for what he has done for us. And that shapes the way that they express their devotion. And here, this woman, as she's coming to the temples, the reason why she's giving this is not to, be, not to be thought well of by others, but rather to acknowledge what God has done for her. It is to give thanks because she knows something of God. And she values the God who is more than anything else. That's what Jesus is getting at. That she, she, she's willing to give up more because she delights in God more, the God whom she knows. She has known of God's mercy through the temple worship. She knew through the temple worship that a coming redeemer would come and address and cover her sins. And so it is uh, in the basis of knowing who God is that she offers this gift. It is not just one that is outwardly offered, but inwardly expressed. But as we think about the woman's gift, ultimately, we are to be people that give thanks to God as well. And we are to think about the God who is in light of his dealing of salvation and thinking of the costliness of God's gift. You see, Jesus calls attention to the woman's work because of its costliness. But when we think about God's gift, God gave us his son to deliver us from our sins. But then we think of the value of God's gift the value of God's gift is the costliness that is expressed. That the Son of God came into this world and gave everything up for us all. That the Son of God laid down his life for sinners. And so when we contemplate, what has God done for me? 
we can come to the conclusion God has given us everything in Christ. If we belong to Christ and believe in him, then we have life, we have forgiveness, we have hope, as the psalmist was saying. That God's eyes are on those who fear his name and that whatever we're passing through, God will take care of us. That widow is living in that reality. She is trusting and giving thanks to God. So is, this, is Jesus calling attention to this widow's act here to kind of nudge the disciples to say, you should give up your boat, Peter, uh, and give everything to the temple? No, that's not what Jesus is doing. That misses Jesus' point. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying the inward act is to match the outward act. Don't be like a scribe that simply is concerned with the outward and is really doing it all for yourself. But rather be like the widow who genuinely delights in her God. That you're willing to give up a costly sacrifice because you realize what God has given to you. That what you're most devoted to in life is not yourself, but to God. Then you begin to understand how Paul writes when he says that it is our reasonable service to offer up our lives to God as a sacrifice. We would never do that. We would never give our lives to God unless we realize what God has given to us. We would only realize that's costly. To, to make my whole life now committed to the Lord is something that only makes sense when God is greater than me. When God has shown his love to me and that I value him more than setting myself up as an idol, more than setting myself up as a God. He called attention to this woman's act so that the outward act is meant to express the inward heart. John Calvin, one of the French reformers, one of the quotes or the mottos that he used for the Reformation was, my heart I offer to you promptly and sincerely. That we are to offer our lives to God, but it's to be done sincerely. It is a costly act, but it's one that is done in response to God's gift, God's costly gift in Jesus Christ. What accounts for the difference then between the scribe and the widow? They were both engaged in religious acts, but one was doing so to serve themselves, and the other was genuinely committed to honoring the Lord. Which one are we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray as we think about Jesus' teachings that it would call us to examine ourselves, to realize how... Uh, the human heart can twist things to serve our own interests. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see, that we might truly treasure you above all else. And we pray that you would take away our sins and make us a people who delight in our God. In Jesus' name.